and welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode, we'll be revisiting a format we haven't done since episode 14. Instead of talking about one big topic like we usually do, we're instead going to discuss several little ones that are too small to be their own episodes. Just like last time, we don't have a guest. So Jared and I will use this opportunity to talk about the state of the show, what we've been up to, and our plans for the future. To help me investigate every nook and cranny of video game design is the Rizzoli to my aisles, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, that was an awful intro. I feel like I need to record that. It was fine. No, no. You don't have to you don't have to try to make me feel better well, here. That it might awful. come up on your yearly review, but it's nothing it's <laughs> nothing out of the normal. <laughs> I uh, I'm, we're a little bit out of practice on I'm a little I shouldn't say we I shouldn't lump you in with my inadequacies I feel like I'm a little bit out of practice on this because we haven't done this for a little bit we're we're, we're uh, a little late getting this one out and uh, it's been a couple of weeks it has been yeah and, and we'll talk a little bit about why that is coming up later in the episode but how you doing man I'm good I like the Brazilian Isles reference you are definitely the right into my Iroquois Pliskin <laughs> oh okay I was it took me a little bit to uh to put the reference together. I'm not as big a I'm not as big a fan as you are. Oh, you will be. I'm assuming Someday. it's a, I think it's a Metal Gear it, reference. I think it's a Metal that Gear is reference. 100%. Okay, good. At least I'm in the at least I'm in the right ballpark. At least I'm playing the right sport. <laughs> You're on the right big shell, if you will. Uh, if I'm on the Oh my gosh, Jared. We got to move on cuz if we well, see here's the problem cuz our the very first little topic we're going to talk about is going to lead us right back to Metal Gear, I'm sure. It's, it was my version of a segue. <laughs> The first, the first topic we're going to talk about today is, in fact, ladders. It's a little topic. You mean like those things that you have in tournaments? Exactly. Or the things that you you step on one rung at a time to climb. Oh, it's like literal ladders. The top of your roof to put your Christmas. Yeah. Well, not real ladders. Video game ladders, Jared. So this is a topic that I wrote down. I've talked about it before. I've got a I've got a big ass document with tons and tons of topic ideas for our show. Well, I shouldn't say tons. It's actually getting whittled down pretty thin right now because nobody sends us any topic ideas. But uh, ladders was one that I wrote on there a long, long time ago. But it's not. It's like ladders are not quite big enough a topic, I think, to be their own episode, right? I I, I don't but think, I think so. Have, but maybe as we dig into it. We'll, we'll unfold We're going to spend an hour and a half on yeah. ladders right now. On the ladders special. <laughs> ladders in video games, to me, feel like one of the most like confusing and weird elements of game design. Is there ever a ladder we'll, we'll get into that's that. like not janky? Like, let's just throw that out it's right, right away. Like, I don't think I've I ever know, gone yeah. down a ladder exactly. that has felt good in a game. But Exactly. I think when you say, you know, that when you say a ladder to someone who plays video games, like everyone has some experience that jumps to their mind where they're like oh yeah i remember falling to my death at one point because i didn't know how this ladder worked <laughs> let's kick it off with a little a little history well like one of the first things that we could find that had ladders in it was donkey kong the 1981 arcade game that's also part of our artwork our podcast artwork there are lots of ladders allows you to go from level to level and uh, make your way up to the top and that that's a that's ladder it's a ladder you climb up it I don't know if it's the first. So, so as we go through the history of each of these topics, I have no idea if these are the first. Because they're so small, it's like very difficult to find uh, like an exact point of origin for these. But I, I think Donkey Kong is probably it's appropriate. At least a lot of it's it's a core to the gameplay of that. Exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Is you know, it, it might not be the first. There's probably a ladder and mist. You know what I mean? Like there, <laughs> there's probably something that predates 
Donkey Kong that has ladders, but Donkey Kong made it like a central mechanic to playing the game. But let's fast forward a little bit. What was your first experience with ladders in games where it like really stuck out in your mind as like, this is how ladders work in games now? It's tough because it's never really a mechanic that I care, I remember too much about, right? It's just something that helps Mm -hmm. with vertical design in games. Uh, But one of the, the one that I could think of off the bat was Final Fantasy VII had a lot of ladders. And in that game, mm-hmm. all of the backgrounds were pre-rendered and static. And yep. it was very difficult sometimes to see, oh, this is something that I can climb up. Um, and that led to some frustrating moments of like, where am I supposed to go sometimes? And uh, the so- controls were not super tight. So it was, it was like, you just kind of had to hunt around until you found the uh, the pixel, which was the designated ladder. Yeah, so Final Fantasy VII actually had an overlay that you could put up. Like, I, th- I think it, if I'm remembering like the correctly, select button, was, right? I think it was, I think it was the select button. Yeah, yeah. And it would have like red arrows for doorways, and I think it was green arrows for like interactables, things like ladders or areas where you could jump to other platforms, which was also a mechanic that was not like really well spelled out. In that yeah, game. that overlay, I don't think I discovered until like my third playthrough of that entire game. Oof, brutal. Definitely helped. So the the thing that Final Fantasy VII brings up is also that the um in that game it was pretty much like a like static camera angles sort of like the way a uh, Resident Evil works and stuff like that and I remember one of the issues that I'd have is like sometimes you'd be going down a ladder and it would switch to the next scene but the controls would be you know some way flipped yes so you'd end up like you know you'd be pressing down and then or you know whatever it is you'd be pressing to the right or whatever you know like whatever contextually made sense for that ladder. But then when the scene changed, your character then like went back or went a different direction to go back the way they came. And it was like very, it was very frustrating. And like you said, it, there was probably other examples of this that I played that of games that had ladders that were, you know, 2d sprites or something. But, um, you know, ladders to me, what I'm starting to think about more modern examples is how they are integrated with a 3d environment. And, uh, Final Fantasy VII mm-hmm. was sort of both of those things. It was a it was a two D background with a three D polygon character. So uh, it was it was yeah. they did the best with what they had in the art style. So it uh, you know didn't didn't ruin the game, but it was also kind of frustrating at times. Yeah, and I don't think any of these topics would nec- you you know like you wouldn't say like oh the ladders were so bad I returned this game to GameStop or anything like <laughs> Maybe that's why we're calling this minor issues. The ladders in this game. <laughs> Very minor, but, but yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely something that I think about sometimes in, in other games, such as like DayZ, for example. Yeah, oof. And see, now you're bringing, now you're like really bringing on the uh, PTSD for people. <laughs> How about you? What was one of the um, earliest games that you played that you think about ladders in? So for me, it's the same thing, right? Like I, I can remember ladders in NES games, but for me, the issues with ladders uh, was when games really made that that jump to you know the 3D play space. So I think about a game like uh, like Half Life Two or um, Counter Strike Source. You know the, these these early 3D first person shooters where where ladders were a big you know a big part of the gameplay, and because they were so like wonky and bizarre in those games, it, it really stuck out to me. I don't know if you remember them. Like you, you basically go up a ladder at your normal running speed. Just kind of levitate up it, right? Pretty much, yeah. But like, there's no slowing down. Like if you run at a ladder, you just shoot up the ladder essentially like at your running speed so fast that when you exit the ladder at the top, you actually shoot up into the air typically, <laughs> unless you've you know 
artificially slowed yourself on your ascent. I mean, that's how I go about uh, it. It's a normal, regular, it's, real life. <laughs> you got to lay off the caffeine there, Jared, if that's how you're going up ladders. I like coffee. <laughs> that, yeah, so for me, that was the first time where I was like, I don't, the ladder, I mean, I guess they function the, the way ladders, you know, they, they serve the same purpose as ladders, but this is not how ladders work in the real world. Now that you say that, I'm thinking about not for a game me. like GoldenEye for Nintendo 64. I'm pretty sure like the ladders on that didn't have edges either, so you would just kind of, you could like fall off either side very easily. It was just mm-hmm. kind of like, oops, fell off, oops, fell off. All right, got my third try. So are you playing anything now that has ladders in it that sticks out in your mind as being like either a, a good or bad example of, of a ladder in a game? Uh, it's been kind of a slow summer games-wise, but I did just finish playing through Days Gone. Um, and there are some ladders in that game, and it's whatever. Like the one time I really like got frustrated with the ladders is there was a lot of towers to climb. Well, not a lot. There were some towers to climb, and they were pretty long. It would take you like a solid like thirty seconds to climb all the way to the top. And it's you know a game that's supposed to be sort of realistic. So he's kind of he's just a regular dude climbing up a tall ladder up like three floor stories of of height. And a few times I did that, and there was just nothing at the top. And I was like, why Why did I spend that time climbing up the ladder? And then I was like, all right, I'm going to climb back down the ladder. And there's no rail slide. To me, that's a cardinal sin in ladder design. In, in video yeah, game design? Yeah, like give me a rail slide. Be. Like, come on, I don't, I don't need to like... Have you ever done it in real life? No, no. While I do have interest in um, completing my pilot's license, and I don't generally have a fear of heights, I do not really care for ladders that much. Oh, I would not. Well, I wouldn't. I I would not recommend anybody at home try sliding down a ladder. I imagine it's much more difficult and far more dangerous than video games. Let yeah, I'm on. like, don't most ladders but have I've like nuts and bolts myself. on the side that would just like tear up your hands? Exactly. I'm pretty sure it'd be a bad time. Exactly. Also, I'm sure I would hit the ground at exceptional speed if I tried it. <laughs> One thing that Days Gone did do well is to climb down. The, you couldn't fall off the top of a ladder. You had to press the interact button, and then he would do his animation and, and get on the ladder, and you would climb down. So it was never like you felt like you were going to like jump off and kill yourself. So I guess that was fine. Um, That's but good. Yeah, there was some like vertical design in that game that really didn't have a point to it. I think we recently talked a little bit about the differences between open world design and sort of the, the more traditional linear level design. Mm. And that I, I think ladders can serve a, a, like a really good function in a game of like directing the player and the player's vision. There's a classic example from the video game Fear, not a super recent video game example to bring up, but there's, there's a jump scare that revolves around the use of a ladder. Because ladder, in, you know, the ladder in that case was a, was a very good tool for directing where the player was facing so they knew like at this moment the player is going to be facing right here so we can put this jump scare right here and uh, it was very effective i think anybody who's played fear probably has at least some memory of what i'm talking about because it is so effective but i'm curious how you know how the ladders work in sort of directing your attention in an open world game like days gone does do are there examples where the ladders do a good job of, of instructing you that this is the path that the developer intended you to walk along? Less so ladders, a lot of ledges for some reason. There would be ledges that were climbable and that would be like, oh, I can probably just go down there and that's the way they want me to go. Um, There are some underground bunkers which start with a hatch and then you climb down a ladder. So there was that, but it wasn't really, it really wasn't that big of a mechanic in the game. Unlike something like Hmm. Dark Souls, which I think had really good ladder use where you would often... Um, no? You don't think so? 
Well, no, no. I mean, say what you're going to say. I think the, some of the ladders in Dark Souls are a little debatable. Right. But... The, the, the main one that I thought of for Dark Souls is you would open up a shortcut and you would kick down a ladder and that way you didn't have to go through the entire level again. If you're familiar with mm -hmm. the uh, design of Dark Souls, you had to clear an area until you got to another checkpoint. Otherwise, you would lose your progress up until that checkpoint. Uh, and then eventually you'd open up a shortcut so you didn't have to go and fight all the enemies again. No, yeah, that, that's a great point. I just... The ladder, there was like a lot of wonky interactions with bad guys not being able to use ladders in Dark Souls or bad guys just straight falling down ladder. Like if you climb down a ladder, the bad guy will just jump and sometimes knock you off the ladder yeah. and kill both of the you. AI integration is a little iffy. <laughs> Didn't matter for the bad guys, mattered a lot for the player <laughs> if that happened. <laughs> so I've been, um, I've been playing a lot of Minecraft with my kid lately. He's actually, he's at the point now where he's, he's really, really starting to grasp the idea of video games. He's not great at the, he's not great at like the, the nuts and bolts stuff about playing video games. Like he doesn't know how to hold the controller. He, uh, he'll use one hand, like he'll use his right hand to move his character. And then he'll go to the other joystick with his right hand to turn his character. Oh yeah. Like that kind of stuff. But it's still, it's been really cool as a parent seeing him not just playing video game, you know, like sharing in the, in this passion that I have, but also like seeing him improve almost day to day. Like he just gets, he gets better at the game and better at his understanding of stuff. But, uh, Minecraft has some wonky ladders. There's just sort of this like 3d space in front of the ladder where it's like, okay, you're now in contact with the ladder. You know, you can go up or down. If you press the jump button, you're going up. And if you let go of the jump button, you're slowly going down. And that's how the ladders work. Doesn't matter which direction you're facing. Doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be eating food and swinging your pickaxe and climbing a ladder at the same time. And the game doesn't really care because there's just this like invisible, I don't know what to call it, like, uh, like you're being beamed up. It's functional, right? Like it's, it works. It doesn't detract from the game too much. If you start to overanalyze it the way that I do, then you start, you know, it, it kind of starts to break some of, I guess, the immer whatever immersion there is to be had in Minecraft. <laughs> um, but that's, I mean, if you overanalyze anything, it starts to break down, I guess. But uh, to me, it highlights like just how weird ladders have been in all video games for a while now, right? Like, I think about when you're on a ladder in a game, like what happens when you press the jump button? Right. right, like in some games, jump, you go up, right? You press the jump button and it takes you higher up the ladder. But sometimes you leap from the ladder and there's no way to know like exactly what's going to happen when you start up a new game and you, and you get on a ladder until you try yeah, it. Yeah, games seem to be particularly do, bad about tutorializing ladders. Like, well, you wouldn't think so, but there's just not a standard, right? Like, so people don't know. Exactly. It, you know, and, and then the same thing happened. Like, you know, what if you, what if you face away from a ladder? If you press the back direction on your controller, you know, does that take you down the ladder or does it back you away from the ladder? And these these are all like these are all questions that the answers are different in every single game. And it doesn't the games don't tutorialize the ladder because it's such a trivial part of the design and you'll figure it out one way or another. But as players, we end up with experiences where, you know, we, we jump to our deaths. Just doesn't seem like a very big like a whole lot of thought goes into that design. It's like, well, a ladder would be here in the world for x reason and so it's just it just gets added in uh in a more linear game i've kind of i booted up metro exodus recently i, I kind of wonder if ladders like if like really fully animated ladders that feel like they have weight to them and you see your hand grab every rung 
I, I kind of suspect that a lot of those kind of experiences are hiding loading times uh, because you're just looking straight into a wall. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious Probably. if that's just one of, one of the mechanics that uh, or one of the tricks that developers use to, to slow you down a little bit and um, let the game catch up. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure in at least especially in the, the more linear games that ladders, a lot of thought goes into the ladder design. I don't know. And maybe this is a good a good point to move to this. But I mean, how can ladders be improved, Jared? Like what, what can be done better to make ladders better in the future for video games? Do we have Death Stranding coming out? And uh, that's a game the about ladder ladders. Simulator, you mean? I guess <laughs> we don't know what that game's about, but there's there's a ladder. There's a lot of ladders. It's it's a semi cooperative online ladder simulator. I'm pretty sure that's what Kojima. It's this. It's this. You can connect through strands and ladders. <laughs> strands and ladders. My favorite board game as a kid. Um, I I don't know. I I I guess. If we could agree on a set of controls around ladders, <laughs> don't let me well, don't let me jump off a ladder to my death. I don't know whenever in a game that would be something I would do intentionally. Oh, I don't I don't know, man. I mean, I think about a games like uh, like Assassin's Creed where there are benefits to. Well, I mean, not that you're necessarily there are ladders in Assassin's Creed, but they're the most useless ladders on earth. Right, they, they're just slower. Than everything's just like a ladder in the game. Free running. But there are moments in that game where you're like, I need to detach from this surface and go to that surface, sure. and it works there. I, don't I would know. say let me rail slide I, down every ladder. I don't know. I think every game needs a rail slide. All right, slide. I can get behind that. I can get behind that 100%. We've come to this consensus in game design, at least for the most part, on how first-person shooters should handle, right? Like left stick move, right stick look, L2 aim, R2 shoot. Like We, we have this common language uh, amongst the majority of first-person shooters on... on how they function and i wonder if we can just get like every game developer in the world into one room and just agree on something agree on one way that ladders work in games i think we should we need to get the un involved in this and, and come up with a i think so i think standard. so jared it it's of the utmost importance that we figure out ladders in video games <laughs> i'll start working on my proposals i probably could talk for a full hour about ladders and video games, but let's not let, let's not do that to our poor <laughs> listeners. Instead, let's uh, let's catch up for a little bit. What you been up to, man? What, what, how's life treating you lately? Life's good. We just uh, had the Fourth of July here. Spent it up in Lake Tahoe. That was nice. It was very. The weather right was on. nice. The, the 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 water was great. Got out on a kayak. Did you end up seeing any fireworks, or were you just out there? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we found around. we found a bar that was in um, near Nevada Beach. In Tahoe, <laughs> there's the, like there was a guy Bob out back lighting off bottle rockets <laughs> or something. No, no, they launched them. Um, they launched fireworks from boats on the lake. It was really cool. How about you? Did you take the kid out, the family? We did, yeah. So we went out to um, to Chandler out out my way. They put on a actually amazing firework display. Um, it was my first time in many, many, many years going out to Chandler to see fireworks, and uh, they do not hold back. I literally the entire time thought I was watching the firework finale and then it would go on for another 10 minutes. So it was pretty cool, you know, and, and fireworks are not those the kind of thing that I would necessarily go and do if I didn't have a kid. So it was really cool to sort of, you know, experience it through his eyes because I know he's he was having a blast the whole time, although he did not care for the sound. How's freelance life treating you? Oh, it's as good as freelance could be, I suppose. Nothing, nothing too exciting to announce. Might have some stuff coming up soon that we can talk about, but uh, not quite ready for that on my end yet. You know, it has its ups, its downs. 
but uh, for the most part, it's been fine. How's your work going? As far as work goes, not a whole lot's changed. Um, I have been having kind of a, a weird month lately. I've been sort of debating kind of how much I wanted to uh, talk about what's going on with me uh, publicly, but I figure I figure if, if it can help like even one person get some help or, or feel a little less alone, then it's it's probably worth talking about. And it, it'll also kind of explain why this episode's a little, a little late and why future episodes might be a little late for the near future. But recently I've been kind of having some mental health issues. I hesitate to say like depression because I haven't been officially diagnosed with anything but um it's been it's been weird lately on my end at least as far as all that stuff goes yeah you kind of talked to me about it you know I, I told you this when you were kind of giving me the heads up on the podcast recordings and upcoming stuff and um you know i was just really happy that you were able to share that with me and that you were actively you know looking to take care of it because a lot of people either don't or can't address those issues yeah. and you know those kind of things can snowball so i'm glad that um you know you're you're looking at trying trying to get some help and and figure all that stuff out it whooped my ass i don't even know how to i don't i don't even know how to describe it cuz i've never really had anything like this in my past like i've never dealt with anything even remotely like this but for me it started like a, a couple of months ago i just started having these like just little moments of anxiety like i just kind of wrote them off as stress like working a full-time job and having a kid and running a podcast and you know keeping up with uh, social obligations and all that stuff it just was like i'd get these moments where i'm like oh my gosh i got a lot going on and it would just kind of get to me a little bit but then um i had seen a couple of videos online of people who had um like rare medical conditions but they were both men like young men both starting families um, and then they were diagnosed with terminal illnesses. And there was just it, some of the uh, experiences they were talking about overlapped with experiences that I've had with my health. And it just like it freaked me out. And there was one day where I just went into like full blown panic attack. Like I, I laid in bed. I, I could not get out of bed. Um, it was one of the days where I had to take care of my kid on my own. And I thought I thought I was dying. Like I, I thought I was going to die that that day. It was like terrifying and I, I as someone who's never experienced anything like that or been around anything like that really it was like it was real scary but I'm fortunate like I, I'm very fortunate because I have a really good support system around me so like my wife was able to get off work and come uh, come over and help me and my parents were able to watch my kid for a little bit and I was able to get to see um, a couple of doctors which I'm still in the process of of seeing doctors to see if we can figure out what's going on but it's like I said man it's uh been a weird one but I'm, I'm feeling a lot better now um good I'm, I'm back to like i don't know i would say like 85 percent. there's still like i still have these moments where i just don't 100 percent feel like the way i used to be but uh i'm i'm keeping up with some medication and, and like i said i'm going back to see my doctor so hopefully hopefully very soon i'll be back to 100 percent, and hopefully we can get the uh the podcast back to its regular schedule but you know i i know like Everybody deals with a little bit of anxiety, but a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they either don't or can't realize yeah. the point at which they shouldn't have to deal with this themselves. And I know I've probably been guilty of that myself. Like, just maybe if I actually did talk about some things, I would I'd be less anxious. But um, for me, it, it passes pretty quickly. So 
I'm glad yeah. that you were able to identify that, hey, like I don't have to deal with this on my own. And, um, you know, I hope that there are people out there, maybe some of our listeners who, who can hear this and realize that uh, you're definitely not alone. That happens to everybody. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. seeking help. It doesn't make you uh, a weaker person or anything. It's it's something that uh, it's an actual illness that needs to be treated by doctors sometimes. So um, speak up and, and reach out to those people, uh, your support system that you have. And like I said, I mean, I know I'm fortunate in that I had I have a very good support system around me. Um, you know, in good friends like you, Jared, and also in my family. Um, but I know that not everybody has that or not everybody feels that they have access to that. So if you do feel like you're you're struggling with anything, like any mental health issues, and you don't have those those outlets around you, there are also other outlets to get help. I know TakeThis.org, they do a, a, um, a lot of work with uh, on mental health, especially for people in and around the gaming space. So if you're looking for, for somewhere to start and you feel comfortable, you know, like video games are your thing and that's where you feel comfortable, you know, talking about or, or seeking help from from people in that space, then uh, takethis.org is is as good a place as any to, to start the uh, the path to recovery. So I'll just uh, I'll throw them out there for right now. And let's move on to talking a little bit more about video games. Backtracking. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Kind of like how we backtracked all the way back to minor issues, and we're doing another one. I don't know. Good job. Good, good segue. Track. <laughs> I, like, I liked it. It's, it's better than every segue I've ever done on, <laughs> on the show, Jared. So, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't talk bad about it. I think one of the first games that comes to most people's mind when you bring up something like backtracking is Metroid for the Nintendo and Famicom came out in 1986. It featured backtracking as basically a key mechanic. You would unlock new abilities that would allow you to access previous parts of the levels that were inaccessible before. For me, I have I'm having I'm drawing a blank on games that have a lot of backtracking now unless they are specifically a Metroidvania game, which if you're not familiar with the term Metroidvania, uh, also refers to is a combination of Metroid and Castlevania. We've had a lot of like revivals of that type of genre recently, like uh, mm. The Messenger and Hollow Knight and stuff like that. Well, I mean, do you have any experiences with it? Like, what what was the first experience you had with the uh, the mechanic of backtracking in a video game? Do you remember? Are we going to define this? Because when I think backtracking, Metroid is like you you literally can see the part of the level that you can get to, but you can't get to it until you progress a little bit further and then you come back. Uh, and I don't really remember that from too many other games outside of Metroid. Well, you I mean, you brought up Final Fantasy VII in our last segment. And Final Fantasy VII is a game that has backtracking to a certain extent. And, and it doesn't use it in the same way that Metroid does. It's not like you get some new ability and it lets you access a new area. But it does ask you to revisit places that you've already visited at one point in the game. And in some cases, when you revisit those areas, they did not, at least in the version of the game I played, did not ever update it with, the like you know level appropriate monsters for you to fight so you've revisited this old place and you're now fighting these low level monsters that you're just chewing your way through and to me that's that is backtracking i think anytime a game asks you sort of by necessity to revisit the same place that's a backtracking mechanic now some are good some are bad i mean like my first experience with it was the game missed a long long time ago and that's a game where you do all kinds of backtracking as you're trying to solve puzzles and you're retreading the same ground over and over and over again 
trying to figure out what it, whatever it is you're supposed to be doing to to get to the next area. Well, in that vein, I um, guess Resident Evil. That that's a whole game about going through doors to find the keys to go through different doors, and you end up walking back and forth, mm-hmm. going to the chest because you can't carry more than like three items. And uh, that game has a lot of backtracking. Yeah, I think Resident Evil is probably a really good example of backtracking. And I think you know, I, I think a game like Resident Evil used it almost out of necessity because they they had to do a lot with very little, especially with the early Resident Evils, right? Like we've we've rendered a mansion. Now, how do we squeeze as much gameplay out of this one mansion as is possible? Well, you just reuse the same assets over and over again. You have the player go, you know, up and down the stairs and go back up and then go back down to solve these puzzles, get the next key. And you've extended the gameplay length and and you could do things like, okay, this time when they go in the room, there's going to be a zombie in there. So it changes that experience a little bit as you as you're revisiting the same places. But I think as those, you know, the the technological restrictions have been lifted, I think things like backtracking in games have become more like recognizable, at least at least for me, I feel that way. I don't know about you. Well, would you consider MMOs in this topic? Because you know, like World of Warcraft, you're you're constantly going to do something and then coming back to to turn in a quest or whatever to finish finish part of your mission or finish the raid. I think so. I mean, I would I would count it. The thing um, I did like about that style of design was you would spend a lot of time. Maybe some areas were too high level for you or just difficult because of geography or whatever, and then you come back. 20 levels later for whatever reason and then you can just absolutely you know area effect mm-hmm. kill everything and that always felt pretty good that was a good power fantasy that uh that that that, that accomplished backtracking in those cases serves a purpose in that game uh, a game like world of warcraft is supposed to function like a, a second life and so in our own lives we we have our house and we go to work and then we come back after work uh, you know, to our house, then we go to the store, and then we come home, you know, like, so in our own lives, we personally backtrack. And now a game that's very linear, a game like Max Payne, where you're going from one area to the next, 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 while that might be, you know, while that's very effective for a game like Max Payne, because it's telling that kind of story, that wouldn't really work for World of Warcraft, because it doesn't give you that illusion of being sort of the, the second life that you're having. So the idea of like, having a safe space and going out and adventuring and then coming back to the safe space, you know, in, in that case, the backtracking is, is like serving a fundamental purpose to that experience. Sure. But then I, there's a game like Red Dead Redemption 2, which I, I thought sort of, e- even though it's like an open world game and sort of functions in that same way, as I just described, there were moments in that game where it felt like the backtracking was intentionally designed to lengthen the play experience without adding anything to the experience. Yes. There was a lot of times where you'd like finish a mission with Dutch and Dutch would be like, oh, uh, meet me back at camp and I'll tell you what to do next. And it's like, well, we're, we're standing right here, Dutch. Can't you just <laughs> tell me right now? Do I have to ride my horse all the way back to camp for you to tell me what the next thing is that I'm supposed to do? Or... Can we just can we just hash this out right here? Red Dead did weird stuff like that too to like I guess portray passages of time, but I never really understood like how much time had happened between some events sometimes, and that was always a little confusing to me. Yeah, and you get you you get a nasty bump on the head, and then two seconds later you're fine. <laughs> you're back in camp, shooting squirrels again. Another more 
modern example that came to mind was the recent Tomb Raider games. There were a lot of parts of levels that you could tell it's like, I can definitely get there. Like, for example, a lot of them would be covered in like this, like really thorny bramble. And for whatever reason, Laura Croft could not get past that because she didn't have the appropriate firebomb or something. And then later on, you, you could craft that. You could go back to those areas and unlock new things to explore. So that's that was that was I think that is closest to a Metroid type thing that I can think of in a modern game. Well, and I think about a game like Apex, which is a game about just retreading, like literally you're just retreading the same old ground over and over again. And and that's a game where the familiarity, you know, an intimate familiarity with the area that you're in is is important to the to the game. It's important to like your own personal story within the game, but it's also important to your strategy and your fights and your looting strategies and stuff like that. Like knowing that map is how you is how you get good at the game. So it becomes, you know, in, in that case, I, I think that that's a good example of backtracking. But I also recognize that that might not, that kind of experience might not be for everybody because it is uh, a very unique kind of backtracking, so to speak, if we can, ca- if we can even count. Yeah, I mean, that's hard with those types of games, like any MOBA that mostly, most MOBAs have the one map that you play. Yeah. Um it's a little different, but yeah, it's just like, it's about learning in multiplayer games, competitive games, especially it's about learning the space, learning the level and, and kind of building on not mechanics that are given to you, but mechanics that you or you know, the skills that you have learned uh, getting better at that game. So uh, I, I would say it counts. I feel like I've led us too far astray. Let's bring it back in. How can, how can game design get better as it relates to backtracking, Jared? Give me a good reason usually in the story to, to backtrack. I, I don't really appreciate having to go all the way back in something like you said in Red Dead where it just felt artificial to increase time or, or obfuscate something that's supposed to be happening in between the two missions of a story or something. I like the way that Tomb Raider did it because it was just kind of these optional side things you could do and exploring the tombs that you couldn't get to before felt rewarding. You got new tools that would help you move through things faster. It would add to your the, the power fantasy of it all. And I, I appreciated that. But yeah, I, I don't like feeling like my time is being wasted, which is, you know, I brought it up a lot on this show, but uh, why I stay away from games that are 80, 100 plus hours long, because often I feel like most of that content is not designed for me. Yeah, I think that's a great point. If you're going to have a game that asks the player to retread ground that they've already set foot on or experience make sure that that's integral to the experience of that game and not just a you know a time sink um it doesn't even need you know like i i almost want to say like make the experience of revisiting an old area rewarding but i don't even think it needs to go that far because of the things i already kind of talked about in, in games like world of warcraft like it's not necessarily rewarding to return to your you know your hometown or whatever it is but it, it, it is important to that game because it's creating that sense of living that second life. So it doesn't even need to necessarily be rewarding. It just needs to be, it needs to touch on something that's important to the game's design and not just be uh, this mindless time sink, a way to stretch the, you know, the, the length of the gameplay so you can put on the box that it takes 60 hours to complete uh, when really, you know, 
Dutch could just tell you what the next step is. God damn it, Dutch. Just tell me what to do next, you son of a bitch. Before we, before we move on to the next one, I, I one of the things I really do like when backtracking happens is when you are sort of intimately familiar with a space within a video game because you spend a lot of hours either at, like using it as a hub or it's just where you started in, at the beginning of the game and spent a lot of time there. But in the story, it makes you go back and something has happened to completely change that space, you know, like some disaster or something. And you get to see it from a different perspective. And I think that's that's really cool. I I appreciate that kind of design as well. Does something like um, the beginning of Mass Effect 2 satisfy that? Would that meet that requirement? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I You know, in that case, I wish the that world was a little bit less linear and more a little, little bit more open to explore but it was, it was really cool seeing that change in the world cool well let's move on we've been doing this show for a while now jared a little over two years yeah did we have, have we accomplished a lot of the things that we set out when we created this show i think the goals that we have set for ourselves have evolved over the time that we've been making this show i personally enjoy using it as something to keep me productive between gigs as a freelancer it, it is it is continuing to improve my craft for example i've learned a lot about podcasts and audio editing that i otherwise wouldn't have known of and uh, i think it's it's a really neat way to make something and, and keep being creative and it, it doesn't take up you know all of my time when i'm also trying to work other jobs that do pay money yeah um, but yeah, I, I, I do think I, I like what we've done. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from our listeners and we've had a bunch of really interesting guests without retreading old ground. I know how much we talk about how much we love just listening to our guests, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people who come on the show, they, they feel like they learn something just by talking through some of these subjects. And I think that's really cool. I think that brings value into their lives and, and I really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah. I, it's been very cool doing this show, you know, now that we've been doing it for a little more than two years because when we started we had zero connection to video games well at least i i had no connection i don't yeah no no we i don't think i don't think we knew anybody who was actively working on anything really yeah i mean like i had done a little qa but you know and and while that's certainly you know a, a game in development i didn't stay in contact with anybody from the company i worked at i didn't really know people that were involved with you know, the programming of games or anything like that. I knew a lot of QA testers, but that was about it. So we jumped into this with with like no connections pretty much at all. And it's been really cool to reach out to people, you know, to our guests and have them be so willing to come on our show. And I mean, every single guest we've had has been absolutely amazing and has, has been doing really cool stuff. And it's cool to feel like, you know, we're a part of that now, you know, by, by being a part of their live, by, even if it's just briefly, I feel like we wedged our way into the video game industry in, in a small way. And it's been really, it's been a really fun experience to, to do that so far by sheer force of will, Jared, by sheer force of <laughs> will, we've wedged our way into the video game industry. You know, it's, it's a growing industry. It is a big industry with a lot of people, but at the same time, I'm always surprised of all the people that we know that know other people, you know, all the different connections. Mm-hmm. Like I've, you know, just through networking on social media have found people that have connections to the TV world that I've worked with in the past. And I'm like, wow, that's really oh, interesting nice. that uh, that you run into that type of thing. It's a any industry that you're in, it ends up being becoming a smaller and smaller world the more people you meet. And you're like, you get very surprised. And I know for me personally, it has led to um, opportunities that I would not have otherwise had. So um, I 
am really happy that we decided to do this podcast and i hope that we continue to do this podcast for as long as we are able to oh yeah me too now after doing it for a little over two years what's your favorite part been do you have do you have one thing that sticks out in your mind as being your, your favorite part of doing the show i think just l- meeting all of the different personalities within the industry um n- nobody is quite the same and I, I think it's really cool getting that perspective uh, and bringing a human element back into game design. We talk about sometimes how toxic this community, the video game community can be. What I really enjoy about what we are doing is bringing that human element back and, and just really kind of highlighting that, yes, there are people that are behind these games and there are human stories behind them as well. And I think that we're starting to see that within the video games industry as a whole by the fact that uh, people are reaching out to their peers more and more. And if we can give them a voice to talk about that, then, you know, I'm, I'm happy to. And I think that that's a really interesting way to, to see it evolve. When we first set out to do this show, I think one of the grand goals that I set out was that we would have an impact on game design, that like someone would point to our show and say, like, I did something because these guys talked about it in a way that spoke to me you know like I, I designed this game in a certain way because these these two goofballs you know were, were critical of it in this way that really connected with me and since having so many developers on our show um, we've actually had quite a few of them after we turned the microphones off say like oh I hadn't I hadn't thought about this topic you know like that or I hadn't thought about it this in depth before and I think we're doing it Jared we might be. I think we're I think we're having even if it's microscopic i think we're having an impact on the way people are designing games i i really hope so i'm still waiting to see my thank you credit in a game i I haven't seen it yet but i'm sure it's coming Uh, not yet (laughs) the other really cool thing from doing this show and it's something i can't really like pinpoint exactly but there's just these episodes like we get we'll get a certain guest on the show and 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 i'm not going to name any names but like um, we'll, we'll get a guest on the show and there's just something about whatever it is, the topic we choose or just our relationship with the guest. And it'll just like really click. There's this like feeling that I get af- sometimes after I turn off the microphone where I go like, that was one of our good ones. Like that was, that was one of the, the better episodes that we've done. And it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen every single time. You know, like I, I I'm always, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I always love talking with our guests. Everybody's been absolutely amazing and very generous. But there's just every once in a while this like magic that happens. It's like this very cool, indescribable feeling that uh, that I just get once in a while. That's really really neat. Video games don't happen by magic. There's people just like you and me out there making them. So be nice out there. Absolutely. Well, Jared, let's move on to our next topic here, which is monster closets. Now you have to add like lightning sound effects and stuff in. Don't don't do. Well, I did that on our last one. I think. No. Now you, you got to do the lightning sound. <laughs> well, not with your mouth. Oh. You need to add them in post. Who has who has time? <laughs> Jared, talk to me about monster closets. We talked about Resident Evil earlier in this episode. Resident Evil was developed by Capcom for the PlayStation in 1996. In that game, you find a journal from an infected person describing their transformation and their illness. And there's a jump scare when the person literally emerges from a closet. I don't know if 
we can really call this the origins of this mechanic, but uh, I think no. it's a pretty good example. <laughs> it is. It's a funny one. I don't think this is this is definitely not the origin of it. And this is one that actually might need a little bit of definition just so we're we're like pretty clear on what we're talking about when we when we're talking about monster closets. Yeah, I, I know what it um, I know what it is, Stephen, but why don't you tell me what you think it is? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say to you, Jared. But... <laughs> No, um, I mean, I'm assuming so, what we're talking about here is like you're you're kind of hiding a spawn point where where these things like pop into existence, right? And and then exactly. start making their way towards the player. Exactly, and it's not always necessarily a room, but oftentimes it'll be some kind of like door that the enemies emerge from, and then you as the player are not able to actually interact with the door. Sometimes it's literally like a closet. It's it's weird. My, Minecraft um, is just I, a block, isn't it? Like a like a cube of something that you can destroy and it'll stop spawning monsters that's funny it's funny that you bring up minecraft because for literally every single topic we're talking about today i thought about talking about minecraft <laughs> and i had to stop myself from it it's just because i've been playing it so much lately <laughs> there are the monster spawning cages and dungeons that will just endlessly spawn monsters and that is an example of a monster closet i i suppose i, I, I um, suspect that we see the- a lot of this more in in earlier games or at least um, modern games are now better at hiding them because I don't ever, you know, it's not something that I think of yeah. too often about uh, when I play. You know, I just don't play a whole lot I of mean, games where enemies just don't stop coming. And that's usually, I think, a core mechanic, right? Is that they, they just keep spawning that's until where you... That's where it's most apparent, yes. right? But every single game that has enemies has to spawn the enemy from somewhere. So in Minecraft, enemies will just randomly spawn in the darkness. They don't need to come from a specific monster spawner they can just appear anywhere whenever it's dark is that a monster closet i don't know you know but at the end of the day every game is it has to spawn an enemy at some point that enemy has to come from somewhere does it come from a closet a, a literal or figurative closet i don't know are there any games that stick out in your mind jared like your first experience where you went like this is this feels odd or like this this doesn't seem natural like what sticks out in your mind as as a like a good monster closet example well, Super Mario Brothers would spawn monsters just off screen. And if you would go through a pipe and come back, those monsters would often be respawned. Or the piranha plants, you know, those would literally spawn out mm-hmm. of a pipe. And the bullet bills would fire out of a cannon until you pass that part of the level. Um, so I guess maybe that would be one of my earliest examples I could think of. You know what? So I, I recently bought the PlayStation Classic. Is that what they called it? PlayStation Mini? I think they called it the PlayStation Classic. Yeah. I got it for 30 bucks on Amazon. Oh, wow. Not the $100 that Sony wanted. Take that, Sony. But I, I was replaying Siphon Filter, and right at the very beginning of that game, there's a part where the enemies will just endlessly spawn and hop over a wall towards you, and you can just farm, kill them to get a bunch of, I think it's the machine gun ammo, the mm, AR ammo. It's kind right of grinded out at the beginning. Of the game. Yeah. And... When I replayed that part, when I, you know, like it had been 20 years since the last time I played Siphon Filter or whatever it is, I instantly remembered doing that when I was younger. I was like, yes, I remember this. Did you immediately use the stun gun to set people on fire? I remember doing that too, <laughs> although that doesn't necessarily pertain to the topic. Nope, I just, I can't <laughs> think of Siphon Filter and not bring that up. It's the best thing. Is Siphon Filter a prequel to Days Gone? Um, I, you know, I heard mumblings around the internet talking about that and I wasn't, I don't remember what the connection was. I think it's like uh, the same developer, some right? sort of some sort of outbreak, and the design of the hazmat suits are similar between the two games. I'm just gonna go ahead and say yes, it about. is. 
and then by putting oh, yeah. it in a podcast okay. recording that makes it true so there you go oh okay absolutely it definitely is it's now canon Can- a canonical prequel today's gone it cannot be disputed you heard it here first folks anyway with you are there any games uh, that you're playing now that have monster closets that stick out meaningful ways in your mind? <laughs> um, I mean, like Days Gone literally has nests where zombies spawn out of, and then you have to um, destroy the nests before they'll stop. So that's that's a pretty solid example, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll, oh, they'll yeah. just keep coming. And then if you clear them all out in an area, uh, you won't have as much resistance in that area. So that's a, that's a pretty core mechanic in that game. Now, is that mechanic fun? at all does it is it additive to the experience like if you were to just go in and clear a certain number of zombies is that different than actually clearing the nest i had fun for like the first five times i did that and then you didn't have to really do it if it wasn't part of a mission so i just stopped doing it and i finished the story with um you know not 100 in that game there's quite a bit of of that that you could do around the world and no, I wouldn't say that it was the highlight of the game, but it wasn't it wasn't terrible. It it definitely like worked with the the narrative, but it wasn't uh wasn't something that I was interested in in doing 100% of. Now, I I've been playing um the game Broforce. Did you play Broforce, Jared? Yeah, I think me and you played it like multiplayer for like a weekend once. Did we? Yeah, oh briefly. I, it was like I think I love Broforce. I had fun. Yeah, I think I played it over at your house when I was we were hanging out once, and uh, I had a good time playing it multiplayer. Even though I'm pretty bad at it, it's great couch co-op for people who might not be familiar with it because I know it is like a smaller in- indie game. Broforce is designed in the vein of the old Contra games, in that there's just like a lot of it, it, it's a side to side platformer shooter. Um, there's lots of enemies, lots of bullets. It's it's hyper violent, and its hook is that every single, like you, you, there's a bunch of different player playable characters that you can be randomly spawned as, and they're all based off of figures from pop culture. So you could be you could play as Bruce Willis from Die Hard, or Arnold Schwarzenegger from Terminator, or Sylvester Stallone from Rambo, or whatever it is. So there's all these sort of pop culture references. And they all have sort of the uh, the appropriate weapons that go along with each of those characters so there's there's dozens of them. John Wick no John Wick I, I think it came, I think it predated the first John Wick Pro Force 2 maybe Pro Force 2 uh, get, they better get, get on it do it Devolver Digital um and I, I, from what I understand they take they they listen to <laughs> player feedback <laughs> just direct them towards um, this podcast but, so that game did have like a literal monster closet mechanic there were these doorways the bad guys would just endlessly spawn out of and they would just endlessly spawn, endlessly spawn. But one of the other core mechanics of the game is that the levels are destructible. So in order to get the enemies to stop spawning, you had to destroy the ground below where the uh, the doorway is. Mm, that's right. And then the bad guys would just fall out the door for a while. They would just so there were some bad guys that had dynamite vests, so they would fall out and immediately die and explode, and then more would come out and die and explode and die and explode. And like a lot of the fun of Broforce is just that it's so chaotic like it's it's just everything's just like exploding all the time everything's exploding and there's blood and guts everywhere and it's just a blast like it's not even necessarily (laughs) about making it to the end of the level it's just just the act of playing the game and, and seeing the destruction can be its own reward and in that case destroying these these monster closets becomes a part of that experience it makes you know as you're destroying it 
to stop the enemies from spawning, you're causing more chaos, more explosions, and it feeds into that like fun loop that the game does so well. And in that case, it was this experience where they did a really good job making the monster closet part of that experience. On the other hand, I think about a game like Destiny. The Loot Cave. Exactly. Like the Loot Cave. It's my favorite game that I loved, but there were there's tons of, of spots in this game where like the loot cave or like when you're in the raid enemies will just like endlessly spawn from doorways until you finish your objective and then they'll magically stop spawning from those doorways and it becomes even weirder with the fact that it's like an it's an open world game where you can do you know go anywhere do anything except you can't go in that door because that's the door that enemies come out of mm. you can't go don't even try to go in there yeah borderlands the invisible did that wall too. will keep you and the enemies just stand in there in the darkness until until it's their turn to come out and fight you and get shot. And then two more enemies will come out later. You know, it's like in, in that case, the monster closets, they're like they're immersion break. I hate the word immersion because it's not like I've it's not like I feel like I'm in the game, Jared. I'm in the game. But it, it does like it, it highlights something that's kind of wrong with the design. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, Modern Warfare 2 was the first time that really stuck out to me as being kind of bullshit. Uh, it just didn't make any sense that you could just stand in a hallway for an hour just murdering thousands of people if you wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. And they would never stop unless you just progressed to the next you know, invisible checkpoint and yeah. then they would just stop. Uh, in a game like Call of, you know, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 where it's supposed to be somewhat realistic, um, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that you're just murdering hundreds and hundreds of humans um i i think destiny can sort of get away with it a little bit more because it's just like i don't know they're aliens like maybe they're clones who cares space magic space yeah Yeah. it's me came from the moon you know as design has gotten better as the technological restrictions have have been getting lifted it's just the these games that rely on the mechanic it it starts to be more and more apparent i think when i feel like there's there's got to be a better way. Um, <laughs> I mean, not to, not to harp on, uh, or not harp, but going back to Days Gone again, like the biggest thing about Days Gone, or one of the highlights of that, that whole game, is these gigantic hordes of zombies. And the cool thing about that was once you killed these giant roaming hordes, they were gone forever. And that felt pretty cool. The, the nests, you know, they, they did spawn out those nests, but they, they weren't like the main source of the hordes. The hordes were kind of... St- you know, they, they there was a certain amount around the map, and then um, once you cleared them, you cleared them, and that always felt pretty cool after after accomplishing that. So, um, yeah, I think with as with the technology evolving and being able to fit more things on screen and, and, and make it more finite of a experience for the design, I think we'll see that being less apparent. It's a tricky one. I don't know that there's like necessarily like one way that I could think of that would improve it. Right? There's some games where it, it appears and it doesn't bother me and then there's some games where it appears and it it you know kind of pulls me out of the experience and i it's hard for me to put my finger on like why one works and why one doesn't do um, random encounters in games like final fantasy 7 count as a monster closet wait now you're going back to the start <laughs> going back to defining the topic like you know i guess but may- you can think of like maybe? think of metal gear solid the first one there there wasn't a monster closet and you could clear all the enemies in the area and you could be pretty fine but th- if you left yeah. for a certain amount of time they would come back and it's like whatever they're they're genome soldiers they they resupplied their troops and but it wasn't happening like you know end on end and it was, yeah. just, it, it was invisible while you were away 
Um, and I, and I, mean, I think I just, just hi- I guess hiding it more, more cleverly might be the answer if you're going to yeah. do that. And again, and this could be said for any of the topics we've talked about today or any of the topics we've ever talked about on our show, but just making sure it's, you know, if you're including um, the mechanic in the game, just making sure that it's touches on something that's fundamentally important to the game and not just there because it's how the game has been made. It's how games are made. Yeah. But don't, don't let me see that's, how the, that's the most the hot dog is. That's made. a cop out answer. That's my <laughs> cop out answer. Cause I could literally say that for any topic sure. we've ever discussed yeah. on here. But like, I think but it was a good point. Know, you man. said that like when enemies walk out of a door um, in borderlands, I remember we played that game together a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes enemies would just come out of doors or out of tents that you couldn't get into. And that's the only purpose that that door solved. If you, if you looked inside the door while it was open, it would just be a black hole and then they would just kind of yeah. come out of it. And it's just, it's like, eh, that seems a little, it's a little janky. Yep. I think there's, I think there's better solutions out there. I'm, I'm personally a fan of the, uh, the style of game design that Metal Gear Solid falls into where like once you clear an area, it's clear, mm, right? Yeah. Like I, I like that because it, to me, that makes a world feel more alive, but especially in a stealth again, game. That's not, well, yeah. And again, that's why it's like important for that kind of game. But it's you know not every game is Metal Gear Solid, and not every game is going to benefit from that kind of design. But that's you know my own personal taste. I would love if every game world, like when you started a game, it spawned every enemy that was ever going to be in that game, and if you dealt with every single enemy, that was it. Well, as a counterpoint to that, made, unless you made new enemies along the way, if if enemies <laughs> stop showing up in Doom. That would be kind of boring because, like, that's literally like all you do is like you're shooting and blowing up enemies. Like, that's a very core experience to that. So, I th- I do appreciate. Well, you can you can clear out most of them. They they will still kind of just keep spawning, and I think that that kind of works for that style of gameplay. We're not fixing anything, Jared. We're going round and round in circles on monster claws. That's what we do. Maybe they're perfect the way they are. Maybe we're the ones who have no idea what we're talking. Maybe about. we're the monster closets. We were the monster closets the whole time, Jared. All right, let's move on from that. Let's talk a little bit about the future of the show. Jared, what do we what do we want to accomplish in the future? What's 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 coming up for for game breaking feature? Well, I know we have a couple of exciting guests that we've been in contact with. Um, and E3, you know, it just kind of finished up a few weeks ago. So we're mm-hmm. we're still trying to work through scheduling with them. They have to put their lives back together after going through E3 and all that coverage. So uh, I'm excited to see uh, to meet more people and have them on the show and, and see some stuff from their perspectives. Um, and I would like to continue to to grow the show. I know we've thrown around some ideas together, like maybe doing a Patreon or something like that. Um, but we we haven't quite figured out uh, the direction we want to take that stuff. But more audience interaction would always be good. So I would like to figure out a way to get more of that, get people more involved. Yeah. Maybe do some more you giveaways. I, I would really like to get some. Yeah, that's some, what I was gonna say. Some live streams going soon in the near future. Yeah. Maybe if oh one, one half of I'm a podcast would have a computer. <laughs> working on it. I'm, I, I, I'm, I know I've been saying it for a year and a half now, but I'm working on a, getting a PC together. Um, no, I, see, I, I love the idea of doing more more giveaways. It's hard because we, you know, like we we have had some codes that we've been able to give away. We've had some uh, some books. Did we ever get rid of those books? We still have two good. copies of the Psychology of Zelda. All right, we're gonna have to figure out a way to give that away. Yeah, we're not gonna do it. We're not gonna do it on this show, but we'll give them. We'll get a, We'll get rid of those books. Uh, maybe next time. And we still have Narcosis uh, codes, I, I believe. Well, then we gotta get. We gotta. All right, we'll, we'll come up with something because <laughs> I I love doing giveaways and, and I like hearing from our guests or from our listeners. So if we could find if we could if we could get a, those two things together, hearing from our listeners and giving people things 
I want to do that more often if we can. We just want to give you give you things. We just want to give, we just want to give you stuff. Why won't you let us give you stuff? And you said you said Patreon. You and I have been talking a little bit about potentially trying to start generating money with the show that that could go back into the show, improving the quality of the show, um, doing more giveaways. I think that that's interesting. I don't know how to do it. I've never done a Patreon or anything like that before. It's something we'll have to. Uh, yeah, have to I, I, I also have to do a little bit more research to find out if it even is the right fit for the type of content that we do. Yeah, um, you know, I want to, you know, whatever whatever we do in the future, I want it to be as low impact on our listeners as possible. Absolutely. So, I, please, listeners, don't be don't be afraid that we're going to turn into like a you have to pay to listen to our podcast or or anything like that because I don't I don't want us to. At least personally, I don't want to to go the route of that, you know, of doing that stuff. So maybe if we end up doing a Patreon, it would be for small, exclusive, little things, not not the the podcast that you know and love and have been listening to for a while now. And I'm sure people have heard um, this from other podcasts because I I definitely have. But you know, it's not just us turning on the microphones and recording. It's the research that the time we spend doing research and putting the show notes together, the time that we spend trying to network and find guests for the show. Uh, the, I do a lot of post-production on this stuff. So it takes time and, and being able to, um, you know, generate some extra support for the show mm-hmm. would allow us to do even more of that, which would be awesome. And I would, I would always love to do more. Um, but at the same time, still got to keep the lights on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, like I, I feel like anytime I hear on a podcast that they start talking about like the you know, the money side of things, I'm always worried like, oh, is, are things going to change? I don't want things to change for our listeners. I don't want anything about the show to change. I don't want anything about the the release schedule to change. I want it to be as low impact on the listeners. No, it's not about taking away. It's about giving feasibly. more, right? Let, yeah. let, maybe do some merch at some point. We, we made shirts for, yeah. for GDC one year, and that would be fun to make stuff like that available to our listeners as well. Exactly. So just put a $10 bill in an envelope and mail it to GB Feature. <laughs> Jared. I think that's good. I think that was a good episode that we did there. Yeah, we're just talking, talking through some stuff here, and talking through some stuff. Talk a, a lot about Metal Gear Solid. On our, on so our, that's good. We, multiple times. Multiple. <laughs> you got times to rag on Destiny. You know, I did. We pretty much it's a normal our show. greatest hits episode, Jared. It's like <laughs> our greatest hits. <laughs> I think it's the only games that we play here. Uh, if you, the listener, have any questions or comments about any of the topics we discussed today or any of our previous episodes. Please, we, we do love hearing from everybody. That's It's one of the other highlights from doing this show. Uh, send us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Also, if you have ideas for future topics, no matter how small, send those along as well. Like I said, my list is dwindling, and uh, I'm curious what, what people out there want to hear us talk about. I know we've had some suggestions in the past, and um, we haven't necessarily been able to get to the topics that, that people have pitched. We also want to find the right guests to talk about some of those topics too. So exactly. it's all a matter of timing. So don't think that we've forgotten about you. I want people to know, yeah, we have not forgotten about it. I have a special section on my list of topics where it's the uh, the listener provided ones. And I have been trying and trying and trying to find get, to find good guests for those topics. So please know that if you sent them in, they're not being ignored. I, I am actively trying. I just got to find a good guest. Um, I'm trying to think like right off the top of my head. I know someone in the past had wanted us to talk about um, like external rewards in video games mm. versus internal. And we, we had discussed doing an episode on like uh, achievements and trophies. I added that to the list and I have been actively pursuing people who, who are, you know, involved with Xbox live and the uh, PlayStation network that are involved on, on that side of stuff. So 
please please know that it it's 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 not going into a, a, a box and being forgotten about i'm just we're just trying to find good guests for that stuff so if you have a topic you want to hear us talk about and try and find the perfect guest for send it to us podcast at gbfeature.com or at gbfeature on twitter and that's going to do it for this episode as a reminder, we release new episodes every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and you want to help us out, head over to iTunes and give us a review. Steven, I want to thank Kyle Clark. Oh, I, yes, iTunes Jared. is being discontinued. Oh no! So we might have to we might have to change that part of our outro. I think they're just calling it Apple Podcast, but it doesn't really <laughs> I, roll. Jared, off the I've been tongue. doing this. I've been doing this for two and a half years. You can't change it on I me can't now. Change now. <laughs> we got to someone we got to write an email to Apple and tell them that they have to keep iTunes around otherwise Stephen Bennett cannot continue to do this show cuz he will fumble the ending every time. Whatever whatever podcatcher you use, just send us a review and that that helps yeah. that helps get the get the word out. Yes, it is it is a huge help. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast. This is Rad um, on iTunes, I guess, or somewhere else. Wherever. In the near future. <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Wherever. Just, wherever they call it. Just find this, find this is Rad somewhere. It's 2019. Uh, you should figure it out. It's 2019. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. I'm at Jared Bruner. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. I like. I, I did a different inflection there at the end, Jared. Did you like it? it it's it's always good to change it. It's it's different. I don't know if it's good, but it's different. <laughs> All right, man. Take have, care. Have a good night.